0: For May 31st, 2010, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 100, a sidetrack from our broader thrust. to the overthinking it podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve from the left coast of america from my nearly empty apartment that's right for reasons i don't entirely understand i am moving the week of the 100th podcast i'm your host matthew rather here with the panel to overthink for the hundredth time Well, we've actually overthought many more times than that. We've actually had more episodes because we do special ones from time to time. But this is the 100th official episode of the Overthinking It podcast. And wouldn't you know it, something went wrong, technically. Technical difficulties beyond our control. We had to cancel the live video stream the in our uh, Ustream channel. And sorry to all those, uh, all those viewers who were kicked off uh, unceremoniously in the middle of the recording. And sorry to you, because the first part of the podcast wasn't recorded. The question of the week. It was, what is your earliest pop culture memory? Movie, TV show, music, anything, in any communications medium known to man... What is the first thing you remember? It was suggested by stalwart OTI commenter and listener Gab. And let's do this this week. Since you didn't hear our answers, which are not particularly good anyway, what if we crowdsource this? You can go to the show notes for this episode at www.overthinkingit.com and everyone leave their earliest pop culture memory. First thing you remember from pop culture. This week's panel includes Natalie Baseman, Peter Fenzel, Mark Lee, John Perrich, David Schechner, special guest, he's the voice you probably don't recognize if you're a regular listener, and myself, and we're going to join the 100th podcast, already in progress, about 10 minutes in, just as our audio problems were starting to level out. We were talking about the difference between pop culture and high culture. Right, and I I,
1: I want to add that this is also a distinction that's made by both the producers and the consumers of this type of culture. Like in fiction, for instance, there the market for fiction distinguishes between "quote unquote" literary fiction, which is you know highfalutin novels like uh, Ian McEwen and Chuck Palahniuk and Anna Quinlan, et cetera, and uh, commercial or mass market fiction like thrillers, romance, mysteries, sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of things you'd find in airports.
2: Da Vinci Code. I think,
0: code. Even, <laughs> da Vinci I think code. even in publishing, you would see, I mean, uh, there are sort of classes of literary fiction. There's like really, really literary fiction. Then there's sort of moderately popular literary fiction. And then sort of popular, there are kind of popular literary fiction, sort of soft lit, if you will. And I will. <laughs>
3: Right, so um, the, what, what? What then of uh, what then of, of films that are made from the let's say middling uh, fiction novels? Like what a Fight Club, uh, a Chuck Palahniuk novel made into a movie. Well,
0: Fight Club is a, Fight Club is an exception that really tests the rule, um, you know, because that that Fight Club is, is the novel is sort of intended as a like very subversive work, and making a big studio uh, studio movie out of it is. Um, I don't know is is kind of is a thing that has some irony embedded in it, doesn't it
3: well, sort of but I'd still argue that it's a it's an enjoyable movie on multiple levels right like you know despite of or perhaps because of the irony of, of the form in which it's made but the content of its message it's a it's a great movie
0: also it, that it, also that there's a naked it, penis at the end of it I'm sure it, you would have that in what
3: points during it.
4: Spoiler! <laughs> Next thing you were telling is, me, season five of The Wire. Oh, I'm going to stop right there. It, it is yeah. it is
1: a very it is a very good movie. Although the the theme of the movie, and I don't mean to sidetrack too much from our our broader thrust. Although why stop now? Uh, the theme of the movie diverges notably from the theme of the novel, and this is something I I heard uh, Polonic speak on fairly recently. In that he wanted the novel not just to be about the, the sort of nihilistic culture of people looking for ways to define themselves through, uh, through self-destruction. But uh, was also supposed to be about that sort of what he calls the emotional scam getting exposed. So in other words, someone constructs an identity for themselves, builds up this little fake life around what they're doing, and then you know has that torn down. So in the novel... To make it specific, there's a moment where the narrator, the protagonist, uh, is exposed in the survivor groups that he's been visiting as someone who doesn't actually have cancer. And they all sort of surround him and, you know, or and they, they have the opportunity to belittle him and, you know, cast him out, but they don't. It's They're much more forgiving. And the film cuts that out entirely. There's no, there's no scene where he's confronted for being a fraud. In fact, that whole part is sort of elided in the movie. And while it's a very good movie polanyi said he he thought it was interesting that they they skipped out on that part that part of you know confrontation and redemption
0: um, the the i mean so the movie as far as as our broader thrust is concerned it's sort of a uh it's a corner case but more generally more generally within movies we we recognize like Summer blockbuster versus art films, right? Like uh, versus Oscar, you know, Oscar bait films. Even with, within art films, we can we can sort of a continuum between the most experimental, uh, on the one hand, non-narrative films, you know, and the uh, and the kind of merchant ivory art house uh, sort of stuff. Wasn't there a, uh, wasn't there a, uh, uh, like an art house, like an indie, uh, meta indie trailer on YouTube a little while ago? Did I miss it? It was like someone with, you know, someone with cognitive, who is like uh cognitively impaired, you know, teaches, uh, teaches a grizzled hipster how to love again or something. Uh, it was, it, was, so, it was, was
1: so indie that no one actually saw it. Or it, it was <laughs> the, it was the meta Oscar bait movie. Like it oh, was yeah. the, the so Oscar good. picture. Yeah. Well, I mean,
4: this is all encapsulated in that, uh, that awful false dichotomy of the movie versus the film, right? Which I know that we talked about before in this. right? The film is the high culture, whereas the movie is the pop
0: culture. I've always just thought that people who say, who say film are just jerks.
4: <laughs> that would make uh, all of us here uh yeah in that
0: category. well no i mean who say it who say <laughs> it with a normative with a kind of normative thing attached to it of like you know what i mean film oh i don't watch movies i watch films hey, can I, I guess
5: can i ask a question to you guys about this movie? no no well fine then fine <laughs> researching anatomy of frogs <laughs>
3: Trophy for your basement, Fenzel.
5: Hundredth time I was treated like a d-bag by a bunch of d-bags. That's that's (laughs) right next to my trophy. (laughs)
1: Fenzel, ask the question.
5: Oh, 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 okay, okay. So the question is this: So in the academic study of film, which is something that I have not done, uh, I I wanted to ask because I went to go recently to see a a showing of student films uh, over at. Harvard, and um, they really, really focus on very, very low-tech stuff. You know, the people cut their own film, splice their own film together. So my question is, in the academic study of film, is is the sort of um, craft of actually making a film as a sort of sequence of images made up of um, this, you know, whatever it is, the, the material of film, is that have a sort of... Um, idi- logical or intellectual significance beyond it being simply the tools of the trade? Like, is there a reason that you teach film with film uh, rather than with, um, like, digital stuff or, or with video or, or with any of the other media that can relate, um, you know, sequential images in a way that the brain cogently creates into moving objects?
4: Well, let me, let me jump in here for a moment here. Um, uh, Pete, I'm not sure which Harvard Film Department you're talking about. My roommate uh, studied film at Another August Ivy League institution um, that is a rival to Harvard, and there was definitely no uh, usage of actual film and cutting and splicing of that sort in his film program. It was entirely digital. Um, what I, don't, I mean, I don't know. was
5: this a graduate program? Because I was I was going to an undergraduate. Oh no, it was uh, undergraduate. Undergraduate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, however, I will famous? say
4: though that the study of film in that uh, in that scenario was very theoretical, and really did not focus too much on the uh, sort of the nuts and bolts aspects of filmmaking. Um, um, I don't think that's quite what you're getting. at. You're talking about sort of the physical medium and the, that act of creating it.
5: Yeah, yeah. There are disciplines in which the physical act of creating the medium is taught in a sort of uh, prim- primordial way, right? It's it's um, you sort of like the you know the kung fu master makes you carry the mop before he makes you do the crazy move where you jump kick people. Uh, but another, or, or, example or cars, be, yeah. or another example, of the cars you mean? Yeah, another example, this would be if you were studying metallurgy or ceramics, and you start with something that's very very basic. Right, and it's something that nobody is really going to be using. Um, well, not metallurgy, right? Or I guess metallurgy is the study of metal and not of creating metal. But like, if you were studying smithy, right? If you were trying to learn how to to make metal sculpture, um, you know, you work on your own forge, right? And you, you, and there's a reason why you would learn.
3: If I can jump in, I think like if you're studying like mechanical engineering, but they start you off with smithing.
5: Yeah, exactly. Or they start you out with mouse traps and string, you know, and they start you out with something that's really, really low-tech and basic, yeah, because the they, they think easy. it illustrates a concept, you know what I
2: mean? I That may be the case. I don't know if it so much applies with film anymore. Maybe with photography, but mm. with film, because all of it is done digitally now, and you can do so much more with it digitally now, and it's easier. You can... On Final Cut Pro, you can do so much uh, more advanced than if you were just doing it by hand. Right.
4: Let me let me let me me offer an analogy here, like saying that uh, film students need to start, you know, learning how to make movies by, you know, shooting on film and manually splicing movies together is saying like authors need to learn how to write by uh, setting type. With metal type and an old school printing press, like it's so divorced from the actual the the, the actual mechanics of what's important about making it.
0: Well, there's, a, I mean, there are film programs and there are, there are film programs. Like it, it depends on a lot of it depends on a lot of things. And Mark, I mean, you sound the person you described sounds like they were in a like a film studies or film criticism program. Film studies, yeah. Uh, as a, you know, as opposed to a. Uh, sort of, as opposed to a kind of trade school, film school, you know, you know what I mean, which uh, most of the grad school programs are, which are aimed at uh, tr- turning out graduates who are who are filmmakers rather than kind of professional understanders or critiquers of film. But even within that, within the sort of filmmaker thing, there 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 is a split between like the art school. Sort of film school, which tends more towards the uh, uh, more towards the uh, use of film as a uh, an artistic medium, and the the you know entertainment business film school, which tends uh, towards more towards um, film as a uh, as a, a commercial enterprise or as a as a commodity uh, kind of thing that you're that you're producing. Uh, that has artistic elements, but is is primarily a commodity. And I, I think that in in a lot of the cases, the more art school oriented film schools, I mean, uh, the ones where you would see filmmaking taught alongside sculpture and photography and painting and and you know graphic design and and things like this, uh, you'd be more likely to see those working with working with actual actual film and some of the more some of the more film as commodity programs uh some of the more entertainment business focused ones working with um, uh, you know uh, more digital things you know it's funny because uh here here in l a uh, you know there are two big universities, right, UCLA and USC, one of whose film schools uh, has people start off with 8- uh, and 16-millimeter film, and the other of whose film schools uh, is digital end-to-end, which which is more the practice of the industry these days. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I agree that, like, uh, there doesn't seem to be a ton to be gained with starting out um on film because it's 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 expensive, less flexible, and uh not the way not the way that the, the
3: industry is going.
0: I'll say well, this I though wondered, about uh, uh, Oh, go ahead. No, I'm not I'm gonna go in a different direction. So if you if you wanna oh, I, I was
3: gonna say I, I could imagine uh you know if for the more artistically minded program directors that, that you could see it as, um, as a way of sort of avoiding a new generation that would exemplify the like the cautionary tale of George Lucas. Right? Like you're shooting on film if you're shooting low tech it forces you probably more about the construction of your shots and, and the way that you're going to accomplish the kind of visual that you want than by just saying all right well we can add you know we can add hayden christensen's hair in post you know i, I it doesn't matter we can do anything we <laughs> is want his hair
5: in removed in some sort of horrible accident he, he actually, he, there's, there's, <laughs> a,
3: there's a there's a story that like he forgot to put on a wig he had shaved his head for the final scene of um of uh revenge of the sith <laughs> and he was like wearing a, a wig for a bunch of the other shots that were at the end of the shooting schedule. And like he had forgot to put on his wig for this one scene. And Lucas like refused to reshoot it. He's like, we can just add his hair in post.
4: Okay, see, now that says so much about our perception of George Lucas that I can't tell if you're joking about this or not. No, I,
3: this, this is, I mean, I don't know if this is true or if this is total apocrypha, but this is, it's not like a story that I've heard.
4: The fact that it is even plausible. Yeah. This, that, that, exactly. Yeah. That, yeah.
3: But, but I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, when, you know, m- much of the history of film is, is the history of people trying to tell stories where the construction of their medium is incredibly limiting, and a lot of their creativity goes into the technical aspects of how they're going to manage to pull off what they want to show given the limited resources available to them. Um, and I could see that you know if if you really if you really have to sit there and plot out how the hell am I going to get this onto the camera, it makes you think is it really worthwhile for me to put this scene into the movie? Um, which is yeah,
5: not. Not f- everybody thinks that. Some people don't come to that. Uh, <laughs> they don't, don't reach that see, point. In the see ladder. also the sci-fi original movie <laughs> series, Grizzly <laughs> Fate. It's a
3: bear. Anyway, oh. go on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> versus Megaslav. Yeah,
4: exactly. That reminds me of, just as I want to keep writing on, on Schechner's point there, um, I, I had just seen Aliens recently for the first time and uh, listened to part of the audio commentary about James Cameron talking about the construction of the Alien Queen and how extraordinarily difficult that was to accomplish. Um, for those of you who haven't seen Alien, just it's, imagine a multi-limbed, 18-foot-tall uh, creature that has to, move, has to move around a fair amount. And this is the days before computer uh, CGI and uh just to hear james cameron talk about how difficult it was to pull that off um just as a good reminder of you know that he he knew it was difficult but he decided it was going to be worth it to try to accomplish that and bring that to film anyway
2: mm-hmm. And it's so much more effective i feel just that when you look at old even old jim henson movies how creepy those characters were even if they weren't necessarily supposed to be creepy it it brings a different dimension into uh, the movie itself and the, and the
3: David Bowie's cod piece,
2: right? (laughs) Exactly.
0: Well, hold on, (laughs) Natalie, you're the one, you're the one just a second ago going, you know, uh, uh, Supporting sort of Final Cut Pro sure. and how, how easy it it makes things, but now now you're now you're you know well, where do you come down? The high tech it, or low
2: tech? Come well, on, inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the it, I think the ease uh, of the technology, what makes it better, I think, or the reason why we shouldn't ignore it is it. Makes it easier for more people to do it. It means that a high school student can go out with a mini DV camera, take it home, plug it in, import it into iMovie, and come out with something that uh, could not look terrible. And I mean, that they, will are- sext,
0: they will sext it to all their friends in the sexting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: So you don't necessarily, I'm, I'm not saying that we should rely on all of the digital effects. Uh, or the, or the um, I don't know, all the additional robots that you want to put into a movie, even though it makes no sense uh, in the timeline, if we're going back to Star Wars. Uh, but that now anybody with access to a computer and a camera, which is getting to be a lot of people with those new flip cameras, that people can now try it out. And it can be lo-fi, even though... It is digital. And can I, sure. Can I,
1: can I ask a tangential question here? You brought up mini DVs, uh, which I've been hearing for a couple of years are on their way out as a format, but I keep seeing cameras that make them. So are mini DVs genuinely on their way out? I want to ask the AV
0: people on the podcast.
1: And if so, yeah. what's going to replace them?
0: To- totally on their way out. What's replacing them at, a, at, it's, wow. <laughs> what's replacing them at the consumer level is a... Uh, cameras that shoot onto hard drives or memory cards, usually okay. in a codec called AVCHD, which is an H.264 uh, codec. And then at the at the kind of the introductory level, what Natalie points out are, are the flip cameras. But that's a product category I don't think is going to continue now that, um, uh, now that everyone really has video in their smartphone. And so I think at the entry level, you're going to see smartphone video. At the consumer level, at, you know... Uh, at the level of mom and dad taking videos of Junior, it's going to be uh, recording onto to memory cards and AVC HD. And uh, at the high end, it gets a little more complicated. That's right. We are overthinking consumer electronics for <laughs> you, you <laughs> no, so here. We're, we're she
4: actually over- overthinking uh, and diff- doing something different than we normally do. We're talking about the production, uh, the creation, the creative process, much more so than we typically do. I think we're often more focused on the end product what we see on the screen, what we listen to on our headphones. We don't think a whole whole lot about, um, that's just sort of the the nuts and bolts of actually bring something into being. Mm
0: -hmm. Here's the thing thing about making it easier. I I agree, Natalie, that the the effect of democratizing access to means of production is on the whole a good thing, because people can get things out there who uh, had been, previously prohibited from getting things out there on account of it costs a lot of money or they don't have access to to certain things and I think that the, the way that that's really gonna have the biggest social impact is in the developing world where um, uh, where stories can now get out can be communicated where there just wasn't the technology to to communicate them before uh, but for you know for people who had access before and suddenly um, suddenly have access to sort of cheaper, easier tools. Uh, when, when everything is easy and, and nothing is hard, you're not thrown back on your resources in the same way. And I think that, that uh, on an artistic level, I think creativity takes a hit. We all become little George Lucases. And this is a syndrome uh, akin to what happens on the internet generally, where everybody knows everything about everything. Suddenly everyone knows what a, a cochlea is, right? Because you can just go and uh, you can just go on Wikipedia that. And so everyone knows everything about everything. We're all like, we're all entertainment moguls with, um, with our Monday morning box office results on the internet. We're all scientists with our understanding of oil and water and the oil spill. And we're all you know, we're all experts at business you know, uh, reading the Apple blogs and thinking about Apple and Google and things like this. We're all we're all sort of, yeah, we're all sort of talking, we're all sort of talking head experts, but our, our knowledge is a mile wide and an inch deep. And I, I have seen something similar happen to creativity. Um, sorry, Dave, I don't mean to keep interrupting you. I, oh, no. I, I, I've seen something similar happen to creativity with people who have access to all these easy tools. And it happened to me sometimes when, 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 when nothing is hard, uh, then you're not forced to be creative anymore.
3: Yeah, uh, actually, uh, All I was going to say was effectively the same point is like all this really does is even more than before, commoditize good ideas. Like anybody can pick up a camera and start shooting something, but you know, like it when that's true, the people that'll really stand out are the people that have you know, it shifts shifts
0: shifts the value, it shifts the value onto, onto good ideas in theory. Yeah, well, and
3: yeah, clothing.
1: I, I still have I still have faith that even if the field gets a lot more noisy because everyone can entry, or, because everyone can entry. I'm sorry, that's the second part of the thought. <laughs> because <laughs> everyone can enter. Are you being translated, John? <laughs> because everyone can enter, uh, the the qu- quality will still out. That you know, as the as the barriers to entry lower, also the means of disseminating information by which you know people sending links or sending things around saying hey this is great uh also becomes cheaper so the cream is still going to rise to the top
0: yeah i mean sure uh the, and the, actually you know paradoxically being a being a huge hypocrite the democratization of distribution in the form of you know cheap internet video uh is what is what makes that possible cuz now we can all see you know, the short film, it's not, you know, it's not like we have to go to Harvard to see the short film series. You know, those movies could be on YouTube and anyone in the, uh, anyone in the world could see them. This is, I mean, hey, we, we're, this very site and this very radio program that you're listening to is a product of that, right? Like the, you know, several thousand people who are interested in us and what we think of popular culture or technology or the means of production or our own hundredth episode uh, can find us and listen to us. and don't and don't have to um uh you know don't have to go through we don't have to go through a newspaper or a magazine uh where we um where we will uh we would never really get um we would never really get traction there because we don't have that kind of wide appeal so uh, having the blog or having having the podcast like i you know i can't imagine this happening on the radio uh you know
5: One of the things about this whole, like, sort of larger discussion about the democratization of media and distribution that always kind of interests me and piques my interest is that there's often this talk about, well, you know, we said the cream is going to rise to the top. And the the stuff that is really successful and it's good is going to rise to the top. Uh, I wonder if we really consider the really – the sort of shudder that all this sends through the idea of there being a top. And it's, it's sort of like, if you think about it this way, you know, you have a business, right? And there's maybe you have an industry where there's a bunch of businesses and the businesses start hiring lots of interns and it's like, great, like we can get the experience we need to get a job. And they, and they get the internships and they follow up on the internships, but then they realize maybe eventually, maybe they never realize it, but what has happened to them is that the jobs that they were aspiring to get are now jobs that are done for free by interns. So, Um, There's something to be said for the fact that the idea of a top itself, although it's been legitimized culturally uh, and and through the work, of course, of of various artistic people as well as business people um, and the fundamentals of the industry, um, is perhaps more a product of the business than we would like to admit. Um, This whole idea of there being a top, this whole idea that if you're going to be as successful on YouTube, you'll eventually become successful everywhere – uh, maybe that everywhere is changing, and maybe we need to consider whether it's good enough to be successful for the people that listen to you or watch you. And why are you really doing it in the first place? Right? Are you doing this it to hope to make it big? You know, this is something that
0: I've being? that I've predicted predicted for a while. It, it has yet to come tr- through, but I think it will. I think that that this kind of this widespread uh, dissemination of the tools of the means of production will. Um, uh, result in more people making a living doing entertainment, but fewer people making a killing. Uh, yeah. You know, that, that there will be people who can sort of, uh, who, can, who can just sort of get, get by, and that being an entertainer or being a personality on a small to medium scale will be a, you know, a career choice for every self-obsessed 20 and 30-something uh, on the internet.
5: Well, it's what's happened with the globalization of the international manufacturing supply chain, too. There's a lot more people working in manufacturing, but there's a lot more of what people who have come to expect there to be, a certain high uh, standard of living associated with working in manufacturing. There's a lot fewer people who can achieve that, right? So so you can have many, many more people in parts of the world where there was no such opportunity getting factory jobs that give them new opportunities. But this, the idea that you can, you know, have a really nice house and support a family on a manufacturing income is in the developed world is, is shrinking drastically. And these two trends are difficult to reconcile because we either want to play it positive or play it negative, And it's hard to see both sides of the story.
0: Um, yeah. Well, the, I mean, I, I think that your idea is that, that like the, the idea, the sort of the elitist discourse about quality, uh, you know, as an objective category, right, is what is actually threatened by um, this process of of the workers seizing the means of of production. We're we're getting awfully awfully Marxist on this on this podcast. You know, I'm afraid. Well, was that, that, I
5: wasn't being Marxist necessarily. I mean, there's pluses and minuses to devolving your international supply chain. I'm not saying that you should. Necessarily. <laughs> I mean look I mean look you know what I said about this before Pete how could
0: how could we develop our international supply chain on overthinking it could we outsource the could we outsource the writing of articles to low paid you know uh, to low paid people in the developing world
5: well, OK, so you remember we there was some talk in the past about uh, my ideas, uh, not my ideas, but my sort of interpretation of black swan related probabilistic thinking to the movie industry. And the suggestion being that the really optimized way of making a movie industry is to make lots and lots and lots of very cheap movies. Uh, and then that way you have high exposure to risk and something catches on and it makes a lot of money. You've made a huge profit margin on it.
2: Twilight? Um, where,
5: yeah. yeah. Which, what?
2: I said Twilight but the quality of that sure is up for uh up for grabs if you guys want to take that that could be for another time. <laughs>
5: oh, you're talking about how cool Twilight is. Well, Twilight movies aren't made on the cheap, are they? I mean, is that I've never watched one. The guys have watched one. They have that The first
0: card. one uh, the the first one was was a little cheesy looking. I think they're putting putting more money into numbers 2 through 4 or 5. <laughs> oh, okay.
5: I gotcha. So is it like, can you see the strings on the vampires? Can you see like, it
0: it has, this is, this is something, if I ever get around to posting on the internet, the uh, alternative commentary that we did.
5: Why haven't you posted that yet? That sounds like it would be really awesome.
0: The the answer is that our, our podcast hosting space uh, only allows us a certain amount of bandwidth at a time, and okay. b- because we've added a second podcast and they're both going weekly now, we're we're taxed as it is just having enough uh, just having enough space on the host. But it, I I promise listeners it is coming, and it's you know it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's Belinky, me, and John Parrish, uh d- you know, commenting on Twilight as we all watch it together, and you can you can time sync it up with the. DVD or through another copy that you obtain through channels. What um, up, what up, what up? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we. Um, oh, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I made the comment on that, that uh, the, the production quality of the first Twilight movie is roughly akin to a History Channel reenactment, a sort <laughs> of sep- sepia toned, you know, wolves running in the forest. Uh, History or Nature Channel reenactment. So that's the a Shokan
5: about... farewell. Is there like a lot of a Shokan farewell that's played? <laughs> I love a Shokan farewell. I love and I love whenever it is ever playing. I love just monologizing over it and just being like, "The winter is cold. <laughs> we have no shoes. <laughs> I fear I will never see you again."
0: Long like, ago, the vampires and the werewolves made a compact with one another.
5: Um.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so quality, uh, Pete, I want to streamline the overthinking at supply chain. I, I, I haven't heard a, I haven't heard a good idea yet about, so uh, you're saying
5: about our site, about like our own business. Well, we don't actually make a great deal of money doing this, Matt. So that, well, exactly,
0: you know, exactly, exactly. We, we cover our, uh, we, we cover our costs though, which, which is good. Which is phenomenal well, success, actually, from the point of view of most blogs that are not hosted on free services like Blogger or, you know, LiveJournal
3: or TypePad or WordPress. I, again, I, I will thank our gold farmers for their contributions. <laughs> <laughs> I,
5: actually, I actually have something useful to say here, Matt, and it's something I've said before, because we've talked about how institutions like ours, which is a sort of independent institution that exists on the internet on a shoestring and, develop, and deals in the sort of shuffle of content around the kind of unregulated commons of the mind, right, um, Um, where there is not much respect for things like uh, intellectual property and where people link all over the place and you sort of hope that the clicks will add up at the end. There are sites that generate content and there are sites that aggregate and link content and distribute content, but don't do any of the content generation themselves. And the question is, why would you want to be one of the sites that actually generates content when you can be one of the sites that aggregates content and do a lot less work? And get the same ads and page views. Like, why not just go to overthinking it, copy one of their articles, and put a Google ad next to it? And even if you only Make one tenth of what the bountiful, bountiful Scrooge McDuckie and hordes of cash that Overthinking It makes from its freaking Google ads, um, then uh, you know you're still made more per unit of work than the Overthinking It people have, um, and I think the the answer is sort of the answer that drives this whole thing is that we don't even when you do it for the money you're not really doing it for the money right you're seeing. Uh, people who do this out of like love and compulsion and a whole bunch of other reasons uh, that that creates this really powerful economic incentive, this war- this warping incentive to the business of of writing. I mean, think about all of the industries where there's so many barriers to entry and and so much. I mean, what's the minimum wage of an internet writer? You know, like negative five or like, there's not even a number for it. Um, yeah,
0: the, yeah, you pay, you pay yeah, to exactly. work.
5: As opposed to like, you know, if I had to, if I were like, you know, flipping burgers, my minimum wage, I'd make a lot more if I were flipping burgers than writing a 6,000 word article about up. But, you know, (laughs) there's so many people who want to do it is the thing. And there's so many people who can do it that to do it in this in this environment where, you know, not only do you have so much competition for almost no revenue, but other people can just steal it. uh, And you sort of have to be okay with that. And, And I mean, you are. And we're not huge like copyright, you know, like crackdown people here. You know, there's there's a new there's a new normal that you know, as much as big businesses want to acknowledge it, is kind of out there, and they have to live with it in the world because we don't have fancy lawyers like everybody else. You know, like like. This is the reality, I guess, is what I'm saying. And and uh and I think that does inform how the supply chain works. And if we wanted to be more efficient with our supply chain, we could stop writing articles. You could fire all of us and you could copy everything off cinematical or something.
0: I can I and, never and, I never hired any of you, so I can't fire <laughs> any of you. We'll just keep we'll just
4: keep showing up. Man, keep that, 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 that's what, what I'm banking on.
2: Repeat, <laughs> all of this all of this is a gamble because a part of the bigger picture is, you know, Julian Julia, that you know, there was a blog that started that. Uh, The you know, look at the um, oh god, look at this effing uh, hipster is a book. Like blogs now get a book deal, and once that book deal gets a movie deal, so
5: I'm sure I'm sure Robert Hamburger is rolling in it because of his proceeds from the official Ninja book, uh, which is a wonderful piece of literature. You have that one right.
2: The, real no, ultimate the
5: handbook. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think I got it for you as a birthday present. Really? Did I leave uh, it at your house?
3: Anyway, I like that. No, no, I, I think I think it's one of those presents where I got for you, and then about thirty seconds after presenting it to you, borrowed from you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I love no. those
3: kinds of presents. Yeah. yeah. It
5: does, does. No, I know what you mean, Natalie. <laughs> but <laughs> that sort of goes back to what I was talking about before. Where, yeah, but all the people who are are also eroding the cachet of the sort of stuff, right? And it's like those people can pay the Julia and Julia person less and less and less um, because there's so many other people who can do the same thing and are already doing it. Um, I mean, I don't know know what point this market pressure kind of crashes through, but it's already doing it in certain parts of the entertainment industry and, you know, change is constant, but... I don't know we'll see we'll see what happens yeah, things you, you fall apart also, you can old... also
3: see the uh, the the real ultimate power book and the stuff white people like book and and all of mm-hmm. that stuff as sort of like the death pangs of an old business model um, which have been sort of protracted in that you know there hasn't really been a successful new business model that's shown up in its wake right so this mm-hmm. is sort well, of an we... attempt to shoehorn like the well
0: yeah new let's not i mean design i
3: design of the old media
0: I don't know like let's not let's not write out the print business yet which still makes you know 22 or 23 billion dollars a year more than either the movie business or the uh or the music business right like yeah maybe yeah. they're maybe maybe they're on their way out but um
3: no I, I think I'm not saying in terms of um dollars and cents just yet but but more that like the idea that uh a person would come across you know meme type uh um social trends in the form of like a, a joke gag book in the front table at their borders, rather than in the actual form of the internet meme from which it sprung. Like the idea that that would be the primary way that people would come across some like new funny thing that's around there. I think <laughs> that's, that's a good that's point. Not, that
0: by the time by the time you can print the coffee table book, you know the thing has died right, on the internet. Like, who goes yeah. to who goes to stuff white people like anymore?
3: Right, right.
1: I mean, which, which really. Does, which, <laughs> Plus, guys, if, we're, if we're talking, yeah, if we're talking no people, longer like
3: stuff. White people. Like.
1: <laughs> if we're talking the importance of media through through sheer dollars generated from first order sales, video games beats everything we've talked about so far. I mean, the the video game industry last year, in terms of direct sales, I mean, movies movies made slightly more due to uh, DVD sales and foreign rights, etc. But uh, there were more. I mean, the video game industry sold, uh, made more in sales than the movie industry did in, in box office sales yeah. uh, last year.
3: At, at the American, time, American box office. American box office, yes. No, Although I'm willing to bet globally. Uh, at the time uh, when, when GTA 4 was released, it was the single largest um, media object opening of all time, right? It sold can. more on its first day than any movie, any book, anything that had been put out before. Are you talking album. about Call of Duty 4? Uh, Grand Theft Auto Four. I, I think I'm about two or three years behind the times here, but like I, I,
1: I know, about. I know that's true of Call of Duty Four. I, I didn't. I mean, if it, yeah, I it, it, it could be true of GTA Four as well, but I, I mean, I know it was definitely the case of, of Call of Duty Four. Like the, yeah,
2: the I, sales. I think, I think Todd
0: Ford it. like bested it, but yeah. And then you got still, to, Then remember. you got to Go shoot up Russian civilians in an airport,
2: <laughs> <laughs> or uh, <laughs> crash your car and pick up a prostitute. So pretty much either way, you're winning.
5: <laughs> the video game. <laughs> so yeah i believe that the first video game to beat the hollywood uh the top movie from hollywood um on its opening weekend in terms of sales was probably the ocarina of time which i think beat a bug's life and i I think that's Uh, rattling around in my head from some old issue of nintendo power or something like that where like um where there is yeah, where the Ocarina of Time was the first video game to in one weekend. Well, and that's not just as a category; that shows yeah. you the rise and sales of video games, but also that they come out faster, right? And they've come uh, out ironically faster enough
3: faster. later on in that same issue of Nintendo Power, they gave the A Bug's Life video game a nine out of ten. <laughs>
5: <laughs> this is a must-have. This is not a red. <laughs> like Jack the most Clayton's unbiased life.
3: source in media reporting.
0: Did Nintendo <laughs> Power had ever had a give a bad review to a Nintendo video game?
3: Oh, yeah, I, I know has researched this.
4: It's pretty rare. But is Nintendo Power like the the propaganda arm of Nintendo? Like uh, yeah, like the, it, like the, it, like, the, like the Pyongyang it, Times? It's, it's, it's the, the, the propaganda uh, of Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: they, uh, I I had a subscription to Nintendo Power for probably a decade, and. While I never saw them give a bad review, you could tell there were some that they devoted really in-depth coverage to, and some they just kind of threw in as, oh, by the way, here's what's opening okay this month. So, if you were savvy, that's how you could tell, but but otherwise, no. Like, I, for, for example, I was severely misled as to the quality of Bayou Billy for the original Nintendo Entertainment <laughs> System. That game looked much, much cooler in the review <laughs> than it actually turned out to be when you played
5: it. This is very true. This is very, very true. It's like oh, it's like three, three ty- different kinds of games in one. Yeah, but they all stink. You're playing like a bad driving game, a bad shooting game, and like an awful beat 'em up all at the same time. Um, so I you don't, know video
0: um, games. Oh, you go, Pete. Go no, I was oh. gonna. Cu- I was gonna bring us back. You push us forward.
5: Okay, so I wanted to read very quickly a one-star review of the Nintendo 64 Bugs Life video game. (laughs) And it says, as such, I read an ad in Nintendo Power that said that this game was good in most, if not all, areas. So I went out and bought it. And when I first played it, I was highly disappointed. The levels are too short. Those that are even levels don't even apply to the story of the movie. (laughs) The graphics stink, and the manner of flick doesn't look like flick in the movie. The background and sound music, if there is any, isn't typical. So this person was really sad that Nintendo Power misled him into thinking that the Bugs Life video game for N64 was in fact Let's good. Just, and now you know how all of Eastern yeah. Europe feels.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, large parts of China. I, I believe the production team, they, they originally made a, a Three Amigos video game for the N64, and they had to just redo all the sprite work on it you know, two <laughs> weeks
5: before release. I blame I blame Amazon for letting this person say these things. I think they should silence (laughs) Nintendo power must be consolidated. There must be a purge. Like (laughs) you know, there is no Nintendo weakness.
3: What? There is no Nintendo weakness.
5: Look, it is if if you must choose. uh, It is best to be both Nintendo loved and Nintendo feared. But if you must be one, be Nintendo feared, and that is the nature (laughs) of Nintendo power. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs>
5: <laughs> I
0: uh so video games it strikes me are are like the greatest example of an experience that is individual and universal at the same time because we've all played you know GTA 4 but everyone's playing of it is a little different you know right that that is that is this i don't know can we circle back and kind of get back a little bit to the idea of uh uh navel gazing and sort of popular culture in general and and what we do on overthinking it because wh- is it is it something could could we overthink high culture, you know, or is that is that sort of already done for us by the, you know, more standard cultural
3: criticism yeah. Of, yeah, I've, of our it's, time. It's definitely done for us by reams and reams of uh, of doctoral theses. You know Yeah.
1: I've I've always maintained that we can't given you know the sites the site's aegis is to subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. And this is, this is why I had a hard time with overthinking Mad Men and why I'm struggling with overthinking Treme. It's that, you know, this is the kind of culture that deserves a high level of scrutiny. You're not supposed to treat it superficially. You're supposed to dig really deep into it and analyze its various themes and study the characters and find the find the archetypes that they tie into. And... Yeah, it's uh, so there. There's there's Actually, more and more culture that deserves a high level of scrutiny, and I don't I don't know that our I don't know that my level of analysis is really equipped to
3: deal with that. You know, given given our mantra, uh, we could quote unquote overthink the high culture. All we need to do is subject it to a level of scrutiny it doesn't
5: deserve. Like Anna Karenina,
3: there need to be more tits.
5: <laughs> well, I think I think there's there's two two responses I have to this note. One of them is that I really wanted. Maybe we can do this someday. Uh, to do like either an April Fool's gag or something where you just have an underthinking a day, where it's just like Kant's critique of pure reason, like one out of five, kind of a slow. I fail.
3: I've Nintendo Power told me that the Kant's critique of pure reason would be a nonstop action thriller.
1: <laughs> Enzo, I've I've wanted to do this to do this myself, or you know, rate the hottest Hitchcock blondes, you know, yeah. Ava
3: Marie Gardner,
5: five yeah. out of ten. Yeah, exactly. It's like, a- am I eudominea or not? Like, and it's just a scale. <laughs> Uh, and the other side of it is that I think that there's a central joke in what we're doing, which is, which is uh, not just about the popular culture, but it's about how we talk about things and sort of what is it, it is acceptable to talk about. I mean, my feeling about all this is that, you know, I write for this site because, and I, I sometimes think this is why everybody does, but I don't want to presume, because I don't feel like it's okay to say that I can't write about what I love in the way that I want to write about things. And yeah, that turns out to have a certain irony in it, Because the way that I talk about things doesn't fit the expectation for how I'm supposed to talk about the specific things that I love. Um, so talking about high culture has a problem, a couple of problems with that. One of it is that, like, if you're not talking about stuff that you love, then it's going to be hard to fit the sort of MO of the site. Like, you can't really follow an article by Mark about Terminator by saying, like, you know, you know the, the, latest, uh, the latest showing at the ICA is pretty sophisticated. But, like, I want to read Mark talk about Terminator more than I want to read somebody talk about something that they have to write about because it's been, you know, authorized by the Academy. now or you know And I mean, don't mean that the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Um, but if you're really enthusiastic and you really love the thing that you're writing about, or even if you really hate it but you love talking about it and you're, you're engaged by it, then I, I think it could fit. But I think you also need to recognize that it's like we're not just talking about it in a sort of highfalutin way. It's more like we are highfalutinish kinds of folks, and we're using the tools that are at our disposal. And yeah, we're maybe like inflating and and parodying ourselves a little bit and joking about ourselves. But, um, I mean, I would be just as... It would just be probably be just as inappropriate for me to talk about certain kinds of high culture where I don't, my specific expertise doesn't, does not apply. Right? And Like, if I were talking about, um, you know, filmmaking on sort of media, I don't know anything about that stuff. Like, if I were talking about a wonderful piece of sculpture and I just had to talk about it in terms of, like, what other stuff it looks like. You know, like, like that's sort of like... It's the disjuncture between discourse and uh, the sort of... Um, the the sort of the the, the, really the emotional reaction of the piece of art, and I think we're showing a kind of disconnect between the act of criticism and the act of consumption, Uh, and and I think that's sort of like part of the joke. And and as long as that's intact, you can play variations on the overthinking it game with any number of high cultural things. But I just don't think that you. I think once you start writing out of fear uh, in the sense of trying to be serious about it, um you can lose that immediacy and personality that I think makes our site good and special um you know I hope our- it makes
0: it I hope it makes it good and special uh it's sort of our stock and trade and uh to the listeners who have stuck with us for one hundred uh podcasts from episode number one, which I seriously do not recommend you go back and listen to because. <laughs> Because it is bad, uh, uh, but it's called Salute Your Shorts. Uh, that, that at least, that part of it is good. Um, should have, we should to, have uh, overthought that for the 100th episode. We should have over-thought that. <laughs> we should have done an audio commentary on our audio commentary. <laughs> we should have done video commentary on it. Oh. Uh, Uh, To to now, to to those of you who have stuck with us Hey, write in If you actually, you can be part of the the Century Club The podcast Century Club If you've listened to all 100 episodes uh, Write in And to those of you who have read the articles Every day for the last two and a half years uh, Thank you, here's to 100 more We will find so many, so many things To uh, subject to our particular level of scrutiny uh so uh you know how to get in touch with us. Podcast at overthinking it dot com two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Make sure to give your latitude and longitude. Uh hey, if you haven't done it yet, I realize it's a pain in the you know what, but uh you yeah, and by you know what I mean ass. Um Cochlear? go on overthinking it and fill the <laughs> pain in the cochlea. <laughs> uh fill out the it, <laughs> It's a joke, Machine. It's it's um it's not, uh, you know. It's funny because it was on our first abortive attempt to record this podcast that we that we first used the word cochlea. So all the cochlea references really are going over the head of the, the
2: um, <laughs> <laughs> of the
3: listeners uh, of this Just podcast. Email, email me Schechner at Overthink, and yeah, I'll tell you all about atomic <laughs> That's
0: fine. Uh, yeah, he very... will tell you about the cochlea. Thank um, hey, you, cochlea but go on, go on the homepage of the site and take that listener survey it it uh it helps us out, even though even though it's kind of a pain for you. Um, if you have taken the listener survey, or if if you just uh, haven't taken the listener survey, or you want to support the site in another way, money is always a good way. There's a donate button. I mentioned that the uh, that the site has covered its costs before. We do it thanks to a lot of listeners and readers who have written in with some very generous donations. Some of them extraordinarily generous. But uh, however much you can give, we're grateful for it. We've had uh, as high as I I kind of don't want to say and as low as, like, $2. And for every penny of that, we are grateful for. If you support us, uh, thanks very much. You're keeping us on the air uh, and keeping us us solvent. Just to put it in perspective, if
1: half the people who download our podcast donated one American dollar or their local equivalent, how far would that go toward covering our costs for the year?
0: If, uh if half the people on our pod, who download our podcast in the uh in the course of a month donated 1 dollar we would not have costs <laughs> that, <laughs> <laughs> that, would be true. that actually that actually would cover our costs for for a year so don't uh we are not looking down our nose at the dollar believe me we are grateful for the dollar and if you uh if you click that paypal link and give us a dollar that would be uh that would be super i usually say it i, I usually say this only on the listener feedback episodes but you know it's it's number 100 what the hell and uh <laughs> and, and as always um Oh, I, I thought of one more thing. Uh, I think the action in our comments threads over the last year has really increased to the point where that's that's kind of where the value in our site is, in, is in kind of engaging the community of overthinkers. And we're working on on some ways to do that more. That's one reason we uh, that's one reason we do it that's sort of non monetary to sort of reach out to a community of like minded people across the world. And that's something that the uh, the internet allows us to do. It so we hope you'll join us. Um, Online uh, for that. Where you ask why? At www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture, and we'll continue to subject the popular culture for these hundred episodes and more to a it level of scrutiny. Does. It, it probably,
3: probably does. does. You know, It deserves it. Okay, I think we've established that it deserves this level of scrutiny. <laughs> So wait, what exactly
1: is a cochlea again? What 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 is a cochlea?
3: Can we just inside read the memo? (laughs) Read the memo. New cochlea is it? (laughs) 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 It's a a small, nautilus organ inside your ear. It's got a, um, a series of hairs. And uh and, and there's a nerve that innervates it as well, and a membrane at the end of it. And so what happens is that the membrane is called the tympanic membrane. When it vibrates in response to sound, that sends sound waves uh, through the length of this like noddle shaped thing. And that causes the hairs to vibrate and the, the nerve detects the vibration. I'm
1: the bored, hairs. more tits. <laughs>